Our U.S. military and military veterans are our country's greatest assets. But service comes with a price. Post-traumatic stress is our enemy, and our mission today is Operation Healing Heroes. Hey everyone, I'm Jay Garstecki, and welcome to another edition of the Operation Healing Heroes podcast, where we document the lives of our U.S. military veterans one story at a time. In addition, we provide resources to veterans and their family members struggling with post-traumatic stress so they can get the help that they absolutely deserve. Be sure to check out Operation Healing Heroes TV show on Discovery Channel, Waypoint TV, Wired to Fish TV, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. Today, we'll be featuring Marion Constantinitis, a U.S. Navy veteran who has dedicated her life to helping heal our heroes battling post-traumatic stress. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com and by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. Hey, welcome, Dr. C, to the show. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, meet with us today and, and share your story. Thanks for having me. I am I'm, I'm honored to be here with you. Well, thank you. Um, in doing my research on you, there's a ton of accomplishments that you've had, uh, but I'm just going to let the mm-hmm. listeners know of a, of a handful here. Uh, Dr. Marion is a 14-year um, U.S. Navy veteran, uh, both active and reserve uh, units. Uh, she is a board-certified professional applied kinesiology and a uh, and a and chiro- uh, Let me back up. You're board-certified in professional applied. Kin- is it kinesiology? Kinesiology. Kinesiology. I'm never going to get that right. (laughs) Uh, That's okay. And in chiropractic medicine, uh, you hold your bachelor's degree in biology from the University of Colorado and a doctor of chiropractic from the University of Western States. Uh, Dr. C is also the author of totallygrainfree.com, a blog dedicated to those with allergies and sensitive to all grains. Uh, You co-authored a book called Beyond the Back, and is in the process of writing another book called Healing the Body. If uh, that wasn't enough, you also work in close partnership with the Resiliency Program, providing uh, all-natural, non-medical, and highly effective treatment to veterans with mild to severe post-traumatic stress disorder. So, wow, what a list of accomplishments. And again, I'm honored to have you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I like to start the show off with uh, life growing up. Uh, give me an idea of uh, where'd you grow up and what was family life like? You have siblings, that type of thing. So I was pretty much born and raised in the Pacific Northwest between Seattle and Bellingham and up in Washington State. And my I'm the youngest of three. So my oldest sister uh, is seven and a half years older than me, and my brother is about three and a half years older. And then there's me. I was the runt. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, I was about four or five years old when my parents divorced. And I didn't realize at the time, because I was so little, that my mother actually kidnapped us across the Canadian border and flew us from Vancouver, BC to New York, 
without my dad knowing. And as a as an adult now and as a parent of children, I can't imagine the pain that he went through the next day finding out his kids had been abducted in the middle of the night by his soon-to-be ex-wife. That, that is, is crazy. just Yeah, that's crazy, right? And it, believe it or not, Jay, it wasn't until I married my husband and I was relaying the story to him, he turned to me and he looked at me and he said, do you mean to say your mother kidnapped you? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess technically, yes, she did. Wow. And so, yeah, that was an eye-opening moment for me. That's crazy. I mean, to think of that, because with all the alerts and things we have now, the abduction alerts and things, and, it, and oftentimes it yeah. is the other parent, right? I mean, we see a lot of these. Um, yeah. Nowadays, you can r- drive down the highways and the freeways, and above there's a sign that says, you know, Amber Alert or something like that, and it has the license plate that I've seen. But, wow, that's crazy. So that was – and I'm sorry, again, how old were you when that happened? Three? Probably five. Okay. Probably five. I was in kindergarten, wow. and I was a young kindergartner. And please understand, I have a great relationship with my mother, my stepfather, my stepmother and my father before he died. We have a great relationship. Oh, I'm and my that. mom, honest, yeah. And honestly, um, my mom just thought she was doing what she needed to do to move forward with her life. And that's what she chose to do. Sure. I, I do get right that. Right or wrong. I, I understand that. I really do. Yeah. I mean, and and hopefully your parents were able to to mend things uh, later on in life. It sounds like the fact that you had a good relationship with not only your stepfather on your mom's side, but also, you know, stepmother on your father's side. It sounds like hopefully things were somewhat normal yeah. for you growing up. I mean, that's... Yeah. I mean, as normal as you can be for a child of divorced parents. Right, right. Yeah. And how about your your uh, siblings? Are you close with your um, with your siblings? Very close. I mean, they are my best friends, and I can call them up, you know, and tell them all my woes and all of my successes. And they are they step right in line with we all do. We we support each other because my mom would move us around a lot, you know. Um, we didn't have that normal stability that I think that I try to provide to my children. Um, I remember one night I told my kids how many elementary schools I had gone to and the just the sadness fell over their faces. And I thought, oh, that wasn't normal. Okay. But I wouldn't trade it for anything because I learned how to get along with a lot of different people and a lot of different scenarios and environments and i feel like it was a gift that i got to go to so many different schools and meet so many different people wow that I, that that's, so that's pretty incredible good. i mean it is but i mean to that point i, I know growing up I, I got i moved when i was coming out of eighth grade going into high school and for me it was uh, one of the probably the hardest things for me to try and do you know you, you grow up as a child and you have all your your friends and your way of life and then we yeah. moved to a you know not out of the state but just from the south side of chicago to the north side of chicago and i went to i remember going to high school and I didn't have a single friend. I didn't know a single person. You know what I mean? And so um, I can only imagine, I only did it once, you having to do it multiple times and not being able to really dig your roots in anywhere. And uh, friendships, I'm sure, were were probably superficial at that point almost to the, you know what I mean? Especially being that young. Yeah. But, uh, but you took that but it, into a positive, it, which I think is awesome. 
And I learned how to rely on my brother and my sister. Mm -hmm. They were the support system. And so it made us so strong and cohesive because we were each other's stability. I love it. And that's probably why you have such a a solid foundation or relationship today with them. I think so. That's really cool. I, um, yeah. So tell me about military background. Uh, did did your any of your parents serve in the military or, or family members? So my parents did not, but my mother is the daughter of a retired colonel, army colonel, and he was. We live. They lived in Newburgh, New York. He worked some up at West Point, some in D.C., and. Um, during World War II, he was Army Corps of Engineers. So I would hear a lot about his accolades and what he did for the Army and as a colonel and sort of this Shangri-La lifestyle that she had as a child, you know, um, and just how being involved with different people between D.C. and New York and their network of people, it sounded amazing. It sounded amazing. And I just thought that'd be great. <laughs> Did you ever have a relationship with your grandfather or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay so. Yeah. I, did you ever get so to talk he, to him about the military or no? So I was a little girl and I didn't know the questions to ask. And, you know, as a child, he was just my grandfather. Mm-hmm. He died when I was a senior in high school. And I just loved being around him. I love it. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, So would you say that that played any type of a role as far as you going into the military, his military background? I think so, because I heard a lot about how it was, and granted, it was a different era, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But people would come to the house and leave their calling cards in the silver dish for the officer and and that kind of thing. And I just thought, well, this is this is great. This is amazing. You know, there's such decorum and um, discipline and people are polite. And I just thought, well, this is going to be amazing. Cool. I love it. So at what point in your, was it during high school that you decided that you were going to go into the military or was it after that? It was just after. So I would, I had recently graduated and I was living in a house with I don't know, five other people. And when I would get up to go to work in the morning, I would pull one of the guys off the sofa so he could take my bed because he worked nights. And so we would basically we'd hot rack. (laughs) And I know it was this tiny little apartment. And um, then I would go to work and I was working a couple jobs. And one of the jobs I was working was with preschoolers, which I loved. And I always thought I'm going to be a teacher. But there was always this other part of me that wanted to know if medicine or healthcare is where I needed to be. And as I was sitting and reflecting one day, I just kind of thought, well, you know, I know that I can find out if medicine is where I belong uh, really quickly if I join the military. And so everybody in my family had been army. So I had uncles, cousin, my grandfather, they had all been army. But I'm a Pacific Northwest kid, so you have to understand, I couldn't be away from the water. Okay, so I was thinking, which one is near (laughs) the water? I will never be away from the ocean. Which one could it be? And so 
I walked down and walked into the recruiter. And believe it or not, the Army recruiter was closed. The Navy guy was still there. And I was like, hey, I want to take that ASVAB test. He's like, let's go. Really? Said, okay. See, that's let's crazy. Go. You're you're probably the second or third person I've ever talked to that that said the exact same thing. Like, literally went down to with an intention to go into this branch of the service, and there was nobody there, so I went next door, and that person was there, and that's how I wound up in that branch of the service. Yeah. And I think to myself, I'm like, that's crazy, right? I mean, I, personally, I've never served. So my grandfather was on the beaches of Normandy in World War II. He was on Omaha Beach. Um, survived to tell about it. My dad was a Marine. My brother was a Marine. I never got to serve. So for me, it's my way of being able to give back and and say thank you to our veterans. But that being said, I would I would have thought that maybe it's just my mind. I would have had to make this like calculated decision on which branch of the service that I would have gone and had I <laughs> my life taken me that way, right? So it's funny that people say, oh yeah, I just uh, you know I went down to go to talk to the army, but they weren't there, so I went to the navy. I'm like, wow, really? Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. I mean, sometimes you just have to jump into life both feet. Amen. I love that. I love that. So, well, that's really, that's interesting. So how old were you then when you went in and, and took the test and, and got into the, the military? So I had graduated high school early and I'm pretty sure I was still 17. Okay. Wow. So did, did your parents at 17 have to sign for you to be able to go in early or no? Um, they put me in a delayed entry program. And when I left, so I had taken the ASVAB test. When I left, I was, then I was 18. Okay. All right. So you were 18 at that point, so it didn't matter. Yeah. And you ended up spending 14 yeah. years, and we'll go into your military, you know, time in the military, but you ended up spending 14 years um, between active duty and reserves in the Navy. Um, did you ever envision that happening? No. 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 Because no. check this out, right? So the only reason I went in was to find out if medicine is where I wanted to be. So I went through boot camp. I did that. Uh, two weeks of leave after boot camp before my A school in San Diego, which was core school. Mm -hmm. And two weeks after that, I called my mom and I was like, hey, mom, I'm ready to get out now because I love this. I love medicine. Medicine is where it's at. So, so you were done. You were, gotta, <laughs> you were done. Now I just got to serve out the rest of my three years or four years, right? Yeah. At the time it was four. I'm wow. like, okay, so now I just got to do this and then I can go into medicine. So you figured it out in what, less than six months and had to spend another three and a half years. Uh, but then you obviously yeah. must have re-upped, huh? I did. Wow. Well, let's talk. Well, I got out. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, let's talk about your military career here. But uh, is there anything else as far as your childhood background uh, before we take a break that you'd like to cover or, or say about, um, you know, life growing up? Not really. I mean, it was it was pretty awesome. I had a great childhood. I was always outside and, you know, close with my brother and my sister. And we just we had a great time together. I love it. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to learn about your time in service. Um, and uh, just we'll be right back. Okay. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is every third Saturday. We foster hope and support post-traumatic growth for veterans. We believe there's no better medicine than being in community with other veterans and their families, rediscovering purpose and serving a cause which is greater than ourselves. 
We exist to assist veterans in finding new purpose after military service. We're all about pursuing growth and post-traumatic success. Visit us at www.everythirdsaturday.org for more information. And we're back with Dr. C. Uh, Dr. C, thank you again for sharing your story with us, telling us about your childhood and uh, time in, you know, leading up to the military. And uh, now it's yeah. time to talk about your your experiences in the military. I know, uh, as I mentioned, you spent 14 years uh, both active and reserve in the uh, the U.S. Navy. And so, again, thank you for your service. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. But uh, give us a, an idea of what military life was like. So I went in pretty naive because my mom was the officer's kid. And so I had only ever heard great stories about how it was from her perspective, being the colonel's daughter. And I um, I was in for a rude awakening, I'll tell you, Joy. <laughs> so I was just super naive and I enlisted. And I just thought it was all gonna be sort of the same, the same decorum, the same politeness, the same ethics and morals. What I didn't realize is that it was a, just a melting pot of so many different people for multitude of reasons mm -hmm. who sort of went in all um, all for their own personal well-being. And some of the people who were there were there because it was their only way of survival, mm -hmm. you know, to collect a paycheck, to support their kids, to support their spouses, you know, and it was just really incredible to meet all these other people from different points of the world. And it really was, yeah, I, you know, most I was able people to interview, were from the U.S. interview a person, and I apologize for interrupting, but I was able to interview a gentleman just yeah. uh, last week, and he said the military for him was either I go into the military or I go to jail. He's like, I grew up in a rough part of the, of the city, a town, and he goes, I came from a, yeah. a, a broken family in the background, and he goes, and I was going down the wrong path, and it was either go into the military or probably spend the rest of my life in jail. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... That, that puts things into perspective, you know? It does. And a lot of it is for survival. Mm -hmm. So oh, good so experience was, for you? eye-opening. Uh, military, good experience? I think if I looked back over it, and collectively speaking, great experience. That's good. That's and good to hear. I had a lot of fun because, you know, wherever I am, the fun is, really. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love hearing that. And then... But there were hard moments, too, sure. and moments that created challenges and growth opportunities. And I look back that at on those moments now, and as difficult as they were, I wouldn't trade them for anything because of where I am today and what I'm doing with my life today. I love it. So it did what you set out for it to do for you, meaning it gave you um, it gave you the clarity that you needed to find out if medicine was where you wanted to be. But then it also provided the the groundwork uh, for your your career coming out after the military. Absolutely. And I'm doing things that, you know, when I was 17 or 18, I never even fathomed. I never even pictured that this was a possibility. That's great. That's great. Did you come out? Mm -hmm. uh, use, did you use the GI Bill or no? I did. So I had the GI Bill, and at the time it paid about four hundred and seventy-six dollars. 
per month of my living expenses and tuition. So Not does much. that mean you had to go back to living with five people? <laughs> well, event. I had to work. I had to work a couple jobs, yeah. and I took out student loans too, and um, and that's what I did. Yeah. And the, yeah, that's what I did. So, what are some of the the most memorable moments in in your military career that you would say you know highlights? And and if if you want to share lowlights, also, I mean, uh, this is a reality show. It's not about sugarcoating anything. So, um. I've. I think really the highlights for me are the people that I met and the people that I'm still connected to to this day. And there are some people where we don't have to talk for a year or five years, Mm -hmm. but they're the people who could call me up and say, hey, I need something. I'm like, okay, what do you need? I'll be right there and vice versa. Or we just keep it light and we'll message back and forth every now and again, instant message or shoot a text to one another like, hey, it's, uh, you know, the Corman's birthday, you know, mm-hmm. way to go, doc, or something like that. And, you know, it's just these little, just this undercurrent of connection that I still have. And in the civilian world, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. Like I trust implicitly these people who have served, whether or not I've served with them, but if they have served, I will rely on them in a different way than I would a civilian. I love it. I love hearing and, that. That's... And, and I, I also hold them to a higher expectation. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think it's having never served myself. Um, I, I completely understand what you're saying though. And I've heard it from many others. Right. And and I guess, you know, in an odd sort of way, that's why they have the American legions and the VFWs. It's where, where veterans can go to be with other veterans. And there's a whole nother side mm-hmm. road to that whole thing. And I get it, but I, and I don't want to go down any rabbit holes here, but um, I know that in, in many of the veterans that I've, I've interviewed and spoke with, um, they just, and it, again, to your point, it, whether I served with them or I didn't serve with them, there's just this um, underlying bond that we have that uh, that we can ex- understand each other. That's right. It makes a huge difference. I love it. So what was, I don't know, as, as far as what was your, your job, so to speak, in the military? So after boot camp, uh, you got out and where did you go? Yeah. So I went to San Diego. So my boot camp was in Orlando, which doesn't exist anymore. It's a beautiful park. And uh, I went to Orlando for boot camp where I was in an integrated company. It was men and women together in very close quarters. So that made for some interesting times. And after boot camp, I went to San Diego boot camp, which was located next to Balboa, or I'm sorry, San Diego A School for Corman, which was next to Balboa Naval Hospital. And you, you touched upon an interesting point. Um, being a female in the military, um, give me an idea of what that was like. Is that obviously when, unfortunately, as a society, when we think of, you even say the word veteran, you know, immediately people think of a male, but you know, it was, it was women yeah. served as far back as World War II. I mean, there were a, a handful of World War II female pi- uh, fighter pilots. I mean, that a lot of people don't know that that existed. Yeah. But but women play an extremely important role in our military. And, uh, and, and, yeah, tell me about that. 
So I came in right when tailhook was happening. So this is Desert Storm time frame, 93 and 1993. And I think I was spared a little bit of the sexism because I was in an area you expect to see women. I was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So people already had wrapped their brains and come to terms with women in the military working in the hospital, like a nurse, right? Mm -hmm. But when I started running the ambulance or teaching EMT school um, or on the rifle range or, you know, those were areas that I felt like I had to step up and prove myself a little more. Interesting. And how did that go? I mean, uh, did you did you have any conflicts? Was it, uh, I mean, was it fairly easy to navigate? So, again, I'm a little naive. And people will say things, even to this day, people will sometimes say things that will drop my jaw. And I <laughs> just don't even know why that came out of their face. And there were moments like that. Yeah. But... Um, you know, I also played softball and so I played competitive softball. So I was really busy with a good group of people and I was friendly with everybody and not really interested in relationships with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was just doing my own thing. I was living my own life. And I just found that if somebody said something that was off putting, I would make a joke out of it, or I was great at playing the bubblehead, you know, kind of like the bird brainy chick. Um, And just like, oh, that's so funny, ha ha ha. (laughs) Where today I would just look at them and and say something (laughs) completely different. But I was a child too, I was a kid. So most of your interactions, though, during that time, I mean, like you said, you were a kid. You're 18 years old to, what, 23, 24 years old for your first four years of service. So, yeah. I mean, were most of your interactions uh, with other females within the military but or coming from a, a mixed group? I would have to believe that you're interacting with men just as much as women, right? Um, probably more men than women, for sure. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you didn't have any tragic moments as it relates to that, I, I assume, right? What do you mean? Well, I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of MST out there, the military sexual trauma that we're hearing about more and more today. It's more prevalent. Um, I, I had a lot of uh, I had a, actually on my TV show this this coming weekend. Um, I, I interviewed a female who uh, had as a child, she grew up and she was the victim of a childhood predator. Um, and then got out yeah. of that horrible, horrible, horrible relationship only to go into the military and then have some additional MST done to her. And it's almost like the trauma follows her, you know what I mean? And and so, um, yeah, it's been tough. But I, I've interviewed quite a few women who have said that it's been, you know, it, it wasn't always easy. Yeah. So um, I cannot say that I left the military completely unscathed. Okay. And that's fair enough. And, uh, and again, I, I'm sorry to hear that because it's, uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing, but I, I hope that it hasn't played a role in who you've become in, in, in the future, I guess. Right. You know, honestly, I look back and I think had it never happened, um, 
who would I be today? You know, would I be as fearful? You know, I find that sometimes I'm fearful in taking chances with certain things or um, would I still jump in both feet all the time? Mm -hmm. But I'm much, and maybe this just comes with age, you know, I'll never know, but I'll make highly calculated risks now. Hmm. Interesting. Which is a little different. And I certainly do trust my intuition a whole lot better. I've learned to completely trust my intuition. So if a situation doesn't feel good, I don't put myself in that situation. Got it. So maybe, maybe again, it did play a positive role in your life in some way, shape or form, huh? Yeah. 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 I hope so. So at the end of the four years, uh, do you re up and go active duty more? Or is that when you started your, um, your reserve career? So remember it was only two weeks. I was ready to be a physician. I was ready. (laughs) So, So I left after four years between Southern California, and then a couple of years in ADAC, Alaska, I left, I got out of the military, and I went into the reserves because I really wanted to go full-time to university, where I went pre-med, and then I went on to, um, my, my intention was to do medical school and go back to the military as an emergency room doctor because that is what I knew. But then about halfway through, and I'm getting ready to write my MCATs, and I sat down with my advisor at the University of Colorado, and I just said, hey, I don't think that I like sick people. (laughs) He's like, what? He's like, you're doing so great in school. You're working so hard. And he's like, what are you thinking? I was like, nah, you know, business, maybe business. He's like, Marion, you would have to start all over. You'd have to start completely over. He's like, look, and he gave me a few pamphlets. He gave me optometry and podiatry and chiropractic. And he's like, go home, look at these, come back. Let's meet later this week and tell me what you think. And I thought, okay, podiatry, feet. Okay, whatever, feet. Eyes, okay, just eyes. But the philosophy on chiropractic, I didn't really know a lot about it, but the philosophy was where I was, it really hit home keeping the whole person healthy and well. I love it. That was, I just thought, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to do wellness, preventative medicine. That's where I want to be. So instead of writing the MCATs, I started applying for chiropractic schools. Interesting. So we're going to go into that. Um, uh, as far as we're, we're, is there anything regarding your, your military, your time in the service, those four years that, uh, that you want to cover anything, or I guess even in, in the reserve area. But then I'd like to try and talk to you uh, quickly about, uh, and after taking a short break, about reintegration, because that's one of the things that um, I hear time and time again from many of the veterans that I get to interview about, uh, you know, transitioning back into civilian life and how difficult it is. And uh, I, I was wondering if you could maybe talk about that with us. Sure. Great. Yeah. I'm going to take a short break then, and uh, when I come back, we will talk about uh, reintegration into civilian life uh, with uh, Dr. C. Uh, We'll take a short break. Be right back. 
Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. And we are talking to Dr. C. Uh, Dr. C, thank you again for uh, your time and, and explaining everything. I, I want to talk a little bit now about reintegration, because it's one of the things that uh, historically has come up over time uh, with our veterans that said, you know, it's that finding that sense of purpose once you get out of the military, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I know that you have a lot to say about that, so I definitely want to hear it. Okay. Well, um my first job I got fired from really because yeah yeah I was working in a clinic for a private practice family physician and I was going to school at um at at college working on my undergrad and I had taken this great job and I had the hardest time fitting in with the other nurses and techs that I worked with and um learning how to verify insurance and just things I never had to do before. And I just wasn't a good fit for them. And what I ended up doing is I got fired and then I went over, there was a a naval base right near us. And so I went over to the Navy Family Service Center and I got a job that same day over there. And I stayed there until I left. to move up to Colorado. This was in South Texas in Kingsville. And I worked there and got even a student um, a student job there. So not only did I get college credit for working there, I got paid to work there. And so it was so great. And I helped people. And then basically I was a secretary at the Navy Family Service Center in Kingsville. Wow, interesting. And, and what time frame is this? Is this pre-9-11, obviously? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it was 97, let's see, 97, 98, 99. And would you say that that, uh, that employment then kind of, uh, formed your, your future? Well, it was definitely helpful. Uh, it certainly was. And I wasn't privy to so much that was going on, um, with one-on-one cases that came into the Navy Family Service Center. And I guess now it's Navy Marine Corps Family Service Center. Um, But I would help with the TAP class. And that is when people are transitioning out of the military and learning what to do. And so I would help set up and um, direct people who were getting out of the military. And mostly there it was pilots. Okay. And so they had jobs already lined up and we would do mock interviews for them and what to wear and just to really help them reintegrate back in. So coaching them kind of more on the business side than anything. That's right. So it's interesting. Um, would, a lot of the things that I've, I've heard were finding that sense of purpose, right? So let's say you're getting out of the military and depending upon what your job was in the military, um, there's 
not a job that's equal to it in civilian life, right? And we hear a lot more about it with our combat veterans maybe than than anything, but uh, those individuals who um, may have been at the tip of the spear, so to speak, in in you know uh, in overseas, and then they come back and then they they have to uh, basically reintegrate into civilian life, right? And and that can be extremely challenging. I mean, I, I can't even imagine trying to find a job that would be equally as important or the, you felt as valued as when you were in the military, and I'm sure you have to deal with stuff like that. Well, you do take on a diminished role. So thankfully, when I left, I was able to work. Um, you know, once I moved up to Colorado, I took a job at the University of Colorado Health Science Center and at Rose Medical Center in Denver, where I drew blood. So I worked in the lab. So I did have something that translated and put food on the table and kept the roof over my head while I finished my degree in pre-med. And so I I was lucky there, but I know that some people do come out and don't have a skill that translates or that certification that translates one-to-one. Yeah, I know a lot of the... A lot of the combat vets, you know, will go into law enforcement or first responders or EMTs or that type of thing because they have to have that feeling of helping somebody or or saving somebody or something yeah. like that. I mean, and I get it. I understand the translation there, but um, I, I have to imagine that it's difficult for, for many of these individuals. I think so. And you come out in a diminished capacity because I was doing so much and I could make the call for a patient. Um at pretty much any time and make the decision on what to do for a patient. And now I'm in a much, I mean, working in a capacity that's much less than that, where there's certain protocols and certain ways to do things that are so different in the civilian sector than in the military. And would you say then that maybe that was the reason why that first job, when you came out of the military that, you know, you were used to doing things and maybe was that, trying to uh, to conform, so to speak? I mean, that was difficult for you? It was like learning a foreign language. <laughs> I had no idea how, you know, how to verify insurance benefits for a patient and what number to call. And um, like the technical aspect I was fine with. And yes, it was a little boring. Actually, it was a lot boring. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I didn't mind the boredom because I knew I was working towards a bigger goal. Well, again, you go back to, you know, in the military, you don't have to, you know, verify insurance and make phone calls and do all the red tape paperwork that you need to do on the (laughs) civilian life side of things. So I can understand where that would be boring and and cumbersome, to tell you the truth. But uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's kind of funny. It's interesting that you literally didn't even spend 24 hours unemployed. No, I know. I walked right on over and I was like, hey, I need a job. And they're like, all right, <laughs> come on, make these copies. Okay. <laughs> interesting. So from there, then I, I assume you finished your degree and, and um, uh, went on to become yeah. uh, obviously a chiropractor. Yeah, so I finished my undergrad at the University of Colorado, and then I went on over to the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon. And halfway through that, 
I think I was in my fifth or sixth quarter there. And Operation Noble Eagle and Enduring Freedom happened, everything with Iraq that was going on, and I got recalled. Hmm. So I'm in the middle of my program, and it's February, I think it was fifth quarter, fifth or sixth. And I remember it was one of those moments where I had my sea bag out and I was supposed to take it to my storage unit. And I just kept thinking, I need to keep that out. Something, I just, hmm. you know, the, the hairs on the back of your neck prick up, your spidey mm-hmm. senses are tingling. And I could not bring myself to putting it in storage for about two weeks. And I had just gotten back from um, working. So this was reserve work. I was I had just gotten back from doing my two weeks, but I could not bring myself to putting it into storage. And February, I got a phone call one night, said, get your stuff. We're moving out tomorrow. What? And yeah, yeah, it was wild. And I had to go in with my uniform on and go into my school, which I've never been on campus in my uniform and withdraw from all my classes. So they didn't even have a protocol set up. People have to officially withdraw. And then normally when you officially withdraw from a program, especially a higher level program, there's typically no guarantee that they're gonna let you back in. And they gave me a verbal promise. Now we all know how far verbal promises can go. Sometimes they don't go very far. So I wasn't entirely sure that I was going to get back into my program and that they were actually going to save a seat for me. That was tough. Yeah, I can imagine. So, wow. So basically they gave you the the verbal agreement that you could come back after you're done with the deployment. That's right. And the other hard part is I kept my two worlds very separate. So my military world, my civilian world were very separate. And to be on campus in my uniform and walking through the campus and taking that form around to all of my teachers to get signatures and withdraw in front of my classmates. Jay, I couldn't even look them in the eye because I don't know. It's just my worlds were, were not cohesive. So I had one world that was military and all of that group of people. And then in my civilian world, I, I really, Honestly, I think I kind of kept myself sort of closed off. People don't know a lot about me on the civilian side. I was going to say, I give them just in, enough. In doing my research on you on the military side, I couldn't find anything. So I could, I could find a little bit more on the civilian side than I could on the on the military side when when I was preparing for this 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 podcast. And so I was really. I mean, you weren't obviously ashamed or embarrassed, but I would I would have thought that you would have wanted to wear that uniform or you did wear it proud. And and but I guess I understand what you're saying when you're, you're talking about civilian life. Do you feel that people maybe would look at you differently in class or your teachers? No, you know what? I think it goes back to being a woman in the military. Mm. So as a woman in the military, you're viewed in at least I back then. I don't know how it is today. I think it's still kind of similar, but um, you're not viewed for what I was. I never felt like I was viewed for what I could accomplish, what I could do, my mental prowess, um, my skill set. 
you know, mm-hmm. I was either, you know, somebody just who was rude to everybody or somebody who was easy for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I did not like that. I didn't want a reputation that people's perception of women in the military back then to translate to my civilian world. So I still don't even talk about it. I don't even talk about it a lot to my husband or my kids. Really? Interesting. Yeah, it is weird. But that's just how I compartmentalized and dealt with everything. Hmm. And so after that, then you get released, obviously, and you, you go on to this deployment? Yeah. So, um, and my deployment was, you know, as funny as it sounds, it was to backfill Naval Hospital Bremerton. And so I went back up and did emergency and family practice up there. And how long was that? Oh, gosh. How long was that? I was out. Let's see. How long was that? Oh, I was out of school almost a year until the next January. Hmm. So it was almost a year deployment, so to speak, almost that you year. had to do that. Wow. Yeah. And, and yeah. so did they save you your, your classes when you came back? Thankfully, they did. So I went back into a class that was a year behind the class that I had exited. And the class that I went back into was so, the students were so welcoming and so accepting and worked together. The class that I had left, everybody was kind of in it for themselves a little Mm -hmm. bit. The class that I went back into, all everybody worked together more as a cohesive unit. And so I really appreciated how everybody helped each other out. So some, you know, we all had different skills. My skills were best suited one-on-one with patients, the bedside manner, all of that and working to develop the care plans, whereas other students were better in the chemistry side or the physiology side. And we all worked together in order to Um, help lift each other up rather than tear each other down. And so I really loved the class that I went back into and it was, it was truly a godsend. It was amazing. I love hearing that. I mean, like you said, I believe things happen for a reason, right? And so maybe that was just, uh, that was the right calling for you then. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly. And that's a group of people that I'm still friends with today. Those, in, those individuals from that second class when you went back? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's cool. I like hearing that. Mm-hmm. So then after that, uh, I assume you graduate and do you start your own practice? Well, I started working for somebody in Oregon um, in one of the suburbs of Portland. And every night that I would drive home, I would call my sister up in Seattle and tell her how I just didn't feel like this was home. Like I'm not quite in the right place. I'm not quite doing exactly what I should be doing. And by this point too, I'd also started my applied kinesiology training because that happened in my graduate level, my senior level clinical training. Uh, You pair up with another student and we had a patient who came in, she had, she was a, young 20-something triathlete, but she had venous insufficiency to her lower leg. And when she biked, she swam, she ran, one of her feet and lower leg would swell, cut off circulation, her leg would turn purple, 
and she was slotted for surgery. So they, they were going to resect a vein and bypass the other vein so that it would function. And the guy that I was paired up with, um, his brother's in the NHL. So I think you would appreciate that. Cool. His brother at the time was in the NHL up in uh, BC in Canada. And he did something on this patient. And I was like, I pulled him aside later and I said, what did you do? What on earth is that that you did? I've never seen anything like that. He says, Marion, he says, it's called applied kinesiology. It works really well. Please don't tell that I've done this because we're not supposed to do it here at school. And I said, okay. So she came back in a week later and he said, how are you? And he and I were still paired up together on our team. And she said, you know, that first night I wanted to kill you. I wanted to find you and murder you because I felt like somebody was jabbing a hot fire poker through my foot and my leg. And she says, the next day I woke up, I was fine. It didn't hurt any longer. And I have canceled my surgery. And Jay, honestly, that was one of those jaw-dropping moments. And I just thought, what is this? I need to learn this. Because I, at that point, I'd been in medicine for so long. And I've seen so many things, but I've never seen that. Interesting. So at that point then, is that when you decide to start focusing on, on that? Yes. Yep. I started taking the classes. Interesting. And, and how, how much more schooling is that? How many more years of schooling is that? It's another three years. It's another one year for the certification and then three years to really feel like you know what you're doing, (laughs) but the education never stops. So that was in 2005 and I haven't stopped since. I still continuously learn. Interesting. So I want to talk specifically. Because it's so amazing. Yeah. I want to talk specifically about that. If you don't mind, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take a short break. And and, then when we come back, if you wouldn't mind, I want to talk about, um, about that. So, uh, just real quick, uh, again, we're talking to Dr. C and uh, U.S. Navy veteran who has uh, dedicated her life to helping our U.S. military veterans uh, with post-traumatic stress, and uh, we will be right back. This week's Veterans Resource, Nonprofit of the Week, is every third Saturday. We foster hope and support post-traumatic growth for veterans. We believe there's no better medicine than being in community with other veterans and their families, rediscovering purpose, and serving a cause which is greater than ourselves. We exist to assist veterans in finding new purpose after military service. We're all about pursuing growth and post-traumatic success. Visit us at www.everythirdsaturday.org for more information. And welcome back. We're talking to Dr. C. And uh, again, thank you for sharing your story with us, Dr. C. I want to get into, and I'm going to mess this up again, I'm sure, applied (laughs) kinesiology. Did I say it right? Kinesiology. Kinesiology. I was close. I was close. Yeah, you did awesome. It sounds amazing. I mean, you you shared a story with us about a a gentleman that you had, you know, uh, seen it, you've seen firsthand the effects that that it could have on on somebody, on an athlete. And so you decided that this was going to be something that you were going to pursue a little bit deeper. Can you tell, what can you tell us about it? Applied kinesiology is using 
a conglomerate of orthopedics and neurological testing to really find out what's going on in the body itself. So it's not the treatment so much, but it's the diagnostics. And people in Virginia Beach, Hampton Roads, well, people come from all around the world to see me. And I am truly an advanced diagnostician. So when people have had no hope or help anywhere else, they'll look up something that leads them to me. And people come for miles, thousands of miles, because medicine has left them and they just have has left them hopeless. Mm-hmm. And that's why helping our military is so important, not only with the PTSD, but often with that PTSD, there's a physical component, bad knees, bad spine, bad mm-hmm. body. And it's tough on them. Is it fair to say that you specialized in a natural kind of non-surgical healthcare approach? Absolutely. It's non-surgical, non-opioid, and it's really functional medicine to reintegrate how the brain and the body work together. It's incredible. Hmm. So explain that a little bit deeper. I mean, as far as the how the brain and the body work together to to heal itself? Absolutely. It's that innate ability. Say if you get a cut, mm-hmm. right? Your cut is going to heal on its own for the most part. So it'll scab over. And then once the scab falls off, you might have some remodeling of the tissue with a, in the form of a scar. But overall, it's brand new again. If you break a bone, it heals on its own. We cast it mm-hmm. so that the bone can push itself together, but the body has that amazing ability to heal on its own. And sometimes it just needs the right way to look at things with a different set of eyes. And I can give you, I can give you an example. He came in and he was a military fella who had been shot through his leg during a mission. And the military had done all they possibly could for him but he still had limited use of his leg. Um, He couldn't really feel anything below mid-thigh, knee, down. And he drug his leg behind him a bit like he was Quasimodo. That was my perception of him Hmm. walking through my door. And I just thought, what am I going to do with this guy? And I did all the normal things with applied kinesiology, the exact same So it doesn't really matter what comes in or what ailments people bring in. But he was, he had lost complete hope, completely lost his hope in life. And um, he just, he was a high level athlete and he wanted to go back to living his life. His quality of life had dramatically diminished. And within about five visits of working with him, he came in one day on his fifth visit and he said, hey doc, guess what I did last night? I said, what? He says, I ran five miles. And Jay, if I could tell you, I about fell over. I was so amazed because five visits ago, he couldn't even walk properly. That is crazy. It was beautiful and amazing. And we worked on healing the trauma 
that was in his brain, the trauma and the post-traumatic stress had disconnected, mentally disconnected his leg from his body. So it was about reconnecting and then moving through that trauma in a way that's unlike uh, anything. And what I love about the job here that I do now with applied kinesiology is that people don't even have to tell me their trauma. I don't even have to hear it. The body tells me. So I can use the person's body to determine what really needs to happen for the person. And there's lots of times people don't want to talk about their trauma, especially our military people. Mm -hmm. I know I don't want to talk about anything unless it was somebody there with me. Then I'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to talk about it just to anybody, let alone necessarily a non-military person or a practitioner that's never going to understand. So what I love about this job is that the body tells me what's going on. The body tells me. Do does this person need nutrition, like a, a multivitamin? Does this person need um, neuroemotional help? Does this person need, you know, is it emotional? Is it physical? Is it nutritional? And then I go from there. And so even the toughest cases, when people come in and they've got something that they're scared to tell their primary care about, or they've seen everybody from Johns Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, Duke Medical, um, even concussion syndromes. I had one patient who was going up to Pennsylvania and Philadelphia for the, con the concussion clinic up there that's world-renowned, and she wasn't getting any better. They come here, and they get their life back. That's my goal. I want people to get their lives back. And who deserves that more than our military? I love it. So, I mean, again, this sounds un almost too good to be true, right? And what I mean by that is you're not curing or curing or, or helping just one aspect of trauma. You're you're taking care of the mental side and the physical side, right? I mean, that's that's, that's basically right. what you're telling me is you're 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 diagnosing this individual, and no two individuals are the same, based on what their body mm -hmm. tells you they're having a deficiency yeah. in and you're you're fixing it both from the mental side and using I, I assume like chiropractic care and I don't know who knows acupuncture those types of things to to cure the physical side is is that right that's right so anybody can do this technique any physician or any practitioner can do this technique for diagnostics and then use what they have in their tool bag of treatment so in my tool bag of treatment I do acupressure nutrition, dietary changes, um, rehabilitations of physical activity, and chiropractic's about one-fifth of what I do. Really? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. So if someone's listening that wants to get in touch with you to, to basically, you know, maybe they're, they've lost hope, right? They, they have no idea where to turn. They've, they've tried to go on through all the, the treatment modalities and things, and, and they're, they're lost. How do they get in touch with you? They can call our clinic in Virginia Beach at 757-965-2476. And the clinic is called Axis Medical, A-X-I-S Medical. Excellent. And we're located in the heart of Virginia Beach in town center. So are there, um, 
other people like you that you're aware of that maybe you've gone to school with that are doing this type of thing around the country? Or are you pretty much, uh, have you kind of created your own form of healing here? No, there are other applied kinesiologists around the nation. Um, there's a handful of people that, well, honestly, around the world, but there's a handful of people that I think work with post-traumatic stress disorder and have an affinity for our military. And people can always call me and ask me or shoot me an email and just ask me. Awesome. And I'm happy to put them on on the right track. I love it. So what would you say to a veteran or a family member right now that's listening to the show who are struggling with post-traumatic stress? Maybe they don't, they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They've tried different things through the VA that haven't helped them. What would you say to those individuals? That's a tough question. But I think the answer I would give people, and it might sound a little cliche, but I want them to know they're not alone more than anything. And I have I, above everyone else, understand this is not something that we were taught to discuss or talk about, whether it happened because it was a classified mission, even if they've been debriefed or if it's been declassified. And there are certain techniques that, believe it or not, you don't have to say a word. You don't have to talk about it at all. You just have to show up. And I get a lot of people who say to me, what are you going to do for me, little girl? <laughs> and I'm like, eh, just show, just show up and see. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. And it, it is. And it's so nice to be able to give these people their lives back because they deserve it. Absolutely, they do. They absolutely do. And and so uh, what would you say to any of the, the skeptics out there? And what I mean by that is, is it, it almost sounds like too good to be true, right? But if you think about it at the core, at the root – it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, there, you're, you you have both physical and mental wounds. Um, why not heal yeah. all of it holistically versus uh, trying to, you know, trying to focus on one thing or the other? And like you said, that that veteran that that you shared the example of, and thank you for sharing that. Um, here's a gentleman who had been through the VA system, and again, I'm not trying to knock the VA in any way, shape, or form. They probably did what they felt they could do to try and help this gentleman, and at the end of the day, they had done everything for him they could. Yeah. Well, I think my biggest skeptics are other medical practitioners who don't have a relationship with me or have never heard of this. Um, And for them, I need to remind really everybody that in the United States, we have the number one emergency care in the world. But when it comes to preventative care or wellness care, we're analogous to a third world country. And that's just not okay. I think Americans and American veterans especially deserve better. And I'm better. Amen to that. I I, I can't I couldn't have said it any better than that, man. That's that's great. Um any parting words for anybody that's listening uh, that you'd like to share? No, don't hesitate to reach out. I'll if I can't help you, I'll help guide you. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. C. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Um, Until next week, when we feature another U.S. military veteran and share their story, um, I understand that life's a journey. Sometimes it can be a struggle, but there's always something or someone out there to help you. Uh, Post-traumatic stress has been said to be the silent killer, but uh, Dr. C is a great... uh, 
a great testimonial uh, about how there are ways of healing. Heal the mind, heal the body, heal the soul. Uh, if you'd like more information on today's podcast, uh, please make sure you visit our website, operationhealingheroes.org. Uh, and until next week when we speak to another veteran, uh, take care and thank you so much. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is every third Saturday. We foster hope and support post-traumatic growth for veterans. We believe there's no better medicine than being in community with other veterans and their families, rediscovering purpose, and serving a cause which is greater than ourselves. We exist to assist veterans in finding new purpose after military service. We're all about pursuing growth and post-traumatic success. Visit us at www.everythirdsaturday.org for more information. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com and by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips. It's gonna be great.